We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle, Episode 90 with Piper Riddle. Welcome to Transformative Principle Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Thank you for listening to this episode with Piper Riddle, a dual immersion principal down in Utah who works at a school where they speak Mandarin, Chinese for half the day, and English for the other half. She is an amazing and inspiring leader who oozes excellence with everything she touches. It's just amazing. I had the pleasure of working with her, and I always learn something from her, and she is very inspiring. Today, we're going to talk about how to integrate two cultures within one culture in a building, which is a fascinating thing when you think about that. So enjoy, and thank you so much for listening. All right, welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am with Piper Riddle, who has been a mentor to me for many years. She and I used to work together in the evidence-based learning department in Kane School District in Sandy, Utah. And one thing that I've always loved about Piper is that she is totally focused on being the best that she can be and has always been amazing in everything that she touches. And she has taught me a ton and I'm very honored to speak with her today. So thank you, Piper, for coming on and chatting with me today. Thank you, Jethro. That was a kind introduction. Well, uh, you are amazing, and I am grateful that I've been able to learn so much from you. And right now, you are the principal of Draper Elementary in Utah, which is a dual immersion Chinese school, correct? That's right. And I want to talk to you about that because a lot of people don't know what that's like, and you've got some unique situations. So kind of talk about how the dual immersion program works. And if you'd like, you can talk about your role in creating the dual immersion program um, for the state since you participate in that as well. Okay. So our dual immersion program is part of a a state collaborative 
um, in Utah. There are, I believe we're around 200 now in the state, um, dual immersion schools in French, Mandarin, Portuguese, and Spanish. And um, I think that's significant because I think it's really a rare opportunity to have a program like this with both state and district and school support. So it's something I'm grateful for to have such a great network of supports and collaboration. Previous to being a principal, I uh, worked in the curriculum department, and one of my roles was being the Chinese dual immersion coordinator, not because I know Chinese, but (laughs) because it's something that I am passionate about, second language learning. And I think part of that passion comes from being monolingual and wishing that I had um, greater access to that at a a younger age. So I I supported Chinese dual immersion for four years um, and in that role, worked a lot with the state office of education, uh, both in recruiting teachers as well as providing professional development for dual language teachers. Uh, the model for Utah dual immersion is a two-teacher model, meaning that one teacher is the English-speaking teacher uh, responsible primarily for English language arts and in the, the younger grades supporting math instruction, uh, just about 20 minutes a day. Uh, and then social studies instruction. And then the other partner teacher is the target language teacher, in in our case, uh, Mandarin Chinese. And they're responsible for teaching uh, Chinese literacy, as well as being the primary math teacher, and uh, also science. So the contents, the content areas are split between the two teachers, uh, which requires a lot of collaboration, because, you know, in our um, effort to be effective instructors. We do a lot of content integration. And so uh, those two teachers meet on a weekly basis to collaborate and to discuss topics and themes and standards that they'll be focusing on that week and, and ways that they can support each other and their students uh, with with instruction. And so what happens is you basically have a an English-speaking teacher teach a group of kids in the morning and send those kids to the Mandarin Chinese teacher and take the kids that the Mandarin Chinese teacher had in the morning and teach those kids in English in the afternoon. Is that right? Right on. So there's about uh, 56 kids per grade in the program, uh, 28 students per class, and the, the two classes switch at lunchtime. Uh, so they'll have you know one language in the morning, the other language in the afternoon. So um, one of the things that people are always talking about is doing math instruction in the morning. Does... Have you seen an impact on student success by having math in the morning or, you know, whatever subject in the morning? Does that really show itself in your in your program? You know, we did when I first came to the school. That was an impact that um, was presented as a concern to me by the staff that because uh, previous to my role there, they would pardon me. They identify the kids by color. So, for example, the red group and the, the blue group and so blue group for half the year would always have Mandarin in the morning and then they would switch the second half and teachers reported to me that they really did see an impact either um, the afternoon would get hit schedule wise with interruptions or uh, kids would sometimes have a hard hard time focusing and so we this is our third year implementing an AB schedule much like they do in secondary schools where uh, the blue group will you know on Monday have Chinese in the morning and on Tuesday, have English in the morning. It's also cut down then on the transition times and the loss of instruction with that. So wherever the students left 
the day before in the afternoon. That's where they pick up the next morning. And um, it's been really seamless for instruction that whatever maybe um, didn't happen, the pacing was either less or there were interruptions in the afternoon. Uh, teachers are reporting to me that they're able to just pick up where they left off the next morning. And because either the adults or the students or both are maybe more cognitively ready in the morning, they're able to then push through whatever was missed and that day's content as well. So they feel like uh, there's more of a balance between the content areas and the language areas and, and whether or not students have an ideal time that that balance is out as well. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. One of the things that we often hear is such and such thing is not developmentally appropriate and having kids rotate schedules like an AB schedule in elementary school is one of the things that I've heard for many years. Well, our kids can't do that. They're just elementary school children and they're too young or not ready for that kind of change in their schedule. They need the consistency of being in the same place at the same time every single day. So it's good to hear that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, the kids really honestly thrive on it. Certainly our elementary teachers are good at giving those visual cues, uh, like the color outside their classroom door for the kids to help remember when they come in the morning. But what I've experienced is that the um, complexity of it has been more of a burden for the adults in the building than the kiddos. They, of course, are extremely adjustable. Yeah. And that's one thing that, that you've always taught me is that the, uh, the adults are sometimes the ones that, that struggle with things more and the kids are, are very flexible. And that is uh, very much the case. So let's talk a little bit about what barriers there are to having native speakers come teach. And I, I don't know if you said that, I know it, but the teachers that you have are, are people who are actually trained in China and then come to America. Is that correct? A portion of them. So let me just give a quick, like maybe demographic. We're a K-5 elementary school. A dual immersion begins in first grade and then continues you know, into um, high school years. So our first through fifth grade, we have five Mandarin-speaking teachers and uh, this year, four of them are from other uh, guest teachers from China. And one of them is a local teacher, uh, you know, originally from Taiwan, has lived in the States for, for decades and is just more familiar with Western culture. You know, previously, our, our program was a little bit more balanced with you know, three local teachers and um, two from uh, mainland China. And I was worried a little bit this year going in with that being a little bit you know, off balance, if you will, as far as stability. But I've had been able to uh, lay those worries to rest because we have excellent teachers. So uh, as far as barriers, when I first uh, came to the school um, and did kind of that inventory that we do when we enter a new um, environment, something that I kept hearing from parents and students and teachers was that there was this kind of division culturally in the school, that there were the immersion students and the non-immersion students and the immersion teachers and the non-immersion and I, I witnessed it. I was pointed to the position in the spring and so um, had time to, you know, come into the school and get to know people before I took the position uh, formally and would come in at lunch and would see Chinese language teachers at one table and um, other members of the faculty at the other and, and, and just saw that, wow, that's just so interesting that no one's making an effort to try to um, change that and I heard coming in too a lot of biases. So I think one of the initial barriers for me was kind of just confronting those head on that I don't think we do it on purpose, but I heard a lot of language like the Chinese teachers 
broke the printer or the Chinese students are being mean at recess. So I still find myself doing it, but less often having to say, oh, so all of the Chinese teachers, you know, broke the printer and, you know, then we, oh, well, no, well, this one did. Oh, and what's their name again? Taking it back down to the, the person level. And then, oh, I, I didn't realize we had a lot of Chinese students. I can only know of like four or five. Oh, I mean, they're in the immersion program. Oh, well, which grade are we talking about? But trying to bring that humanity back, it's, it's, it's just interesting how I think it's a natural tendency to generalize. And, and yet I felt like that really did impact in a negative way our culture initially uh, as we tried to group students and teachers. With that said, I feel like we've come a long way and it meant a lot of critical conversations about efforts to reach out to each other and to get to know each other on a human level, if you will. And... And the staff has really come together. One thing that then I worked on with uh, the student population, because I did see, you know, it was interesting working with the state. We really, you know, I'd go to parent meetings to inform people about the program. And we'd say, people would wonder, well, are the kids going to be you know, segregated because they're with the same kids every year? Because there's only two classes per grade that you can really mix up. And they're never going to be mixed up with the other students at the school because it is a strand within a, a traditional school. And we would assure them, no, no, they have lunch together. They have recesses together. They'll be, they'll be integrated plenty. Well, that, at least at our school, has not been the case. And what I think I've learned from that is that without um, kids being in a structured social environment, like a classroom setting, they don't naturally reach out kind of beyond their peer circle. So they weren't integrating out at recess and in the cafeteria. Um, in fact, when I came in there, they would call, you know, the kids would, this table's, this is the, you know, Chinese table. And if you weren't in the program, then you, you didn't sit at that table. And, and, you know, it sounds like the Sneetches, and it really felt like that at first. But the interesting thing was that the Sneetches, the, you know, those with stars on their bellies depended on who you were talking to, because some thought that they were better off not in the program, and others felt they were better off in the program. And there seemed to be some conflict there. So we um, implemented my first year what we called a specials program. And the model isn't unique, but the intention um, was, you know, I used to teach in a Title I school where we were able to have a PE teacher, a computer teacher, certainly a librarian, and, um, and then a music teacher. And so I reallocated funding to make that possible and, and then asked each grade level to create tribes. So uh, we have five to six classes per grade, and our teachers create heterogeneous groupings of kids, four tribes per grade. So they're, they're larger. They're between 28 to 35 kids, depending on the grade, but they then go to a two-hour block per week of those specials classes. And um, that allowed them to, in a structured environment, interact with each other. And I wasn't sure it would have very much impact. But, um, you know, halfway in the school year, I did start to hear just interesting feedback from parents, you know, that, you know, Tommy hadn't played with Johnny since kindergarten, even though they live in the same neighborhood. And now because they have PE and music together, they've started scheduling after school play dates. And so that that's been fascinating to me that certainly the role that um, adults play in helping kids learn to socialize. I think I've just learned how significant that is. So that 
that effort, as well as, you know, uh, every two weeks, we have what we call the grade level dragon training. It's part of our uh, RTI or multi-tiered system of support initiative to um, identify kids who need uh, enrichment or remediation or just practice on a specific standard or concept, primarily in math, but sometimes in um, other areas as well, where the grade level can provide enrichment or reteach, and they mix kids up across the grade uh, because it's just based on uh, what students need, not which class they are in. Um, And that's another opportunity to come together. So you you had this problem of having two different cultures within your school culture and you did i'm hearing three things to to solve that three really big things that i just want to make sure that you gave so much great information i just want to make sure we go back sorry (laughs) and really understand that because first thing you did is you personalized the issues with culture and you made it so that instead of blaming a group of people we were talking about individuals and actually paying attention to who they were instead of just scapegoating an entire culture. Yeah. You integrated specials to have the two cultures be able to be with each other. And then you did this training, this dragon training, which was a RTI approach to giving kids opportunities to relearn and they'd be mixed up there. Correct. That is a lot of work. That is really amazing. And how did you come to know that those were the right things to do? Because those are all big things and you've been there for a couple of years and I imagine you didn't do these all on the first day, but how did you go about the process of knowing that this is what needed to happen? Well, I think first, I, I don't think I would have known exactly what the problems were and, and how to really identify them if I hadn't sought you know, input from the current faculty and from parents and even from, from kids. So I think, you know, getting the right information was really important. And then, you know, to be honest, Jethro, like it is in education, none of those ideas really were original, that they are things that I have seen or experienced in my career. So once I, we were able to you know, identify the issue um, or issues to be able to then just to go back to what I've experienced or the tools that I borrowed from others' toolkits to then help with that. And that's the interesting thing. A lot of those pieces like dragon training or specials served other purposes in other schools that I've worked in. And yet they provided a unique solution for us specific to our, our challenges. So I begged, borrowed, stealed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, that, that sounds about right for us in education. (laughs) But uh, what I like is that you, you really listened to find out what the real problems were and then you, you took action to, to help them be effective. And I, and I love the idea of personalizing with the cultural issues that you had, because that is a really powerful thing. And I don't remember where exactly I learned this, but I know that we talked about it a lot when we were working together that people would say, well, the district said, blah, blah, blah. And we started saying, well, who in the district said that? And trying to identify who the actual person was, not so that we could trap someone, but making sure that we understood who the who the source was, who the direction came from, and then making sure that if that person wasn't on the right track, then we could say, well, it was, you know, we'll go talk to that person, make sure they're straightened out. And that little skill there has definitely served me very well and is a very good thing 
to continually use. Instead of saying, they said that, you say, well, who was that person? And it helps in a lot of different ways. So I appreciate you sharing that specific example with you, with your school as well. Yeah. You've probably read Todd Whitaker's, what is it? What highly effective principles do something of the sort. The 19 things highly effective principles do. Yep. There you are. Yes, sir. And he talks about the blanket monkey. And I think sometimes, cause that's such an, like a, whether it be, you know, in the curriculum office or in a school setting, a faculty meeting, it's really easy to generalize those issues. I think it's sometimes also more comfortable for us, even as administrators in addressing those issues. Oh, well, I'll address it with the whole staff. But that's something that as a teacher really drove me crazy when I would sit through, you know, a corrective and I'm, I'm the type of person that I just assume it's me with the problem. And I, then I think, oh, how am I going to fix that? Well, I don't think I've ever done that before. But I still need to fix it. Because they're talking to me about it. Because they're talking to me about it. And I think that kind of relates to that idea as well. And so I, I do often ask when, you know, people, I think in their effort to be maybe polite, we've talked also before about that culture of nice and how that can sometimes be our undoing. But I, I do ask, well, who specifically? Because I don't think it's fair for me to address the entire second grade team if it's one or two teachers. And I can certainly do that in a kind way. But but to be able to be specific and not general, I think that's how we can ultimately be more effective in, in the work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And it also uh, saves a lot of time <laughs> when you know you only have to talk to one person instead of talking to everybody and bringing up questions from everybody and making everybody feel bad. It definitely really helps. So that is really good. Yeah. Wow. That was a great interview with Piper. We're going to do the second half of the interview with her next week. And I hope that you enjoy that. I really think that the things that she's talking about here, that how to get these cultures to work together is something that we can do with any sort of division in our school. So I hope you'll take what you learned from that and apply it to whatever challenges you may be facing in your school. Speaking of challenges, if there's something that you're struggling with and you would like help on figuring out how to do it. I've interviewed a ton of people on here, but I know there are other amazing principals out there who can help solve your problems. Please take a minute to click on the show notes here and answer the survey question that I have, which is what do you find most challenging right now in your job as a principal? Or if you're not a principal, what do you find most challenging in getting a job as a principal? I'd love to hear from you and love to be able to find people who can answer those questions. And I appreciate you listening. Again, I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and this is the Transformative Principal Podcast. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, 
meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.